Amen. As you remain standing, please turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 35 through 51. And for this portion, I will only read through verse 42. John 1, verse 35 through 51. Hear now God's word. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And this is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today we see people all the time longing for expectations, sometimes lifelong expectations, to be fulfilled. This plays out, of course, in a variety of ways, even today. You read about stories of soldiers sent off to war, writing and sending letters back home, longing to be reunited reunited with loved ones. Some did return, many didn't. But the longing was unquantifiable. Students longing to get into a certain school and preparing years to get in. Some eventually do get in, some don't. That was true for me in my dream school. Or perhaps some of you are longing for your 401k to mature and you're just not old enough yet to cash in, so you impatiently (laughs) groan in expectation. I was thinking about this over the week. Sports is a fascinating thing it brings out kind of crazy devotion, such devoted, long-suffering, let me say again, long, long long-suffering angst, Bears fans, and great anticipation for championships. Some people wait their whole lifetime. And then you step back and say, this is just a game. (laughs) This is literally just a game with paid athletes that we're watching. Why do we get so crazy for these teams? I can't explain all that. I was really pondering that this past week, especially while watching the World Cup. But people spend decades waiting and hoping. I remember, I think, when the team that shall not be named, or named as the Cubs, finally won after 100 years, they finally brought home the championship. I was actually living in Chicago, even though I'm a Sox fan. Please forgive me. I I was happy. I was cheering. I didn't want to gather with the people running around the streets, but I was happy for them. But then I heard stories that would come out where fans, where they would grow up watching this team with their fathers or grandfathers, they would go to cemeteries and sit at the graveside of their father or the grandfather and just sit there, yes, in sadness that they couldn't witness this in their lifetime, but overjoyed that it finally happened. I mean, that is serious devotion. Or for the England national soccer team, I was so disappointed 
that none of you texted me or called me to console me after their loss yesterday. The country that created the sport hasn't been champions in how many decades now? And the long-awaited expectation along of millions of fans goes on. They're going to have to wait yet again. So serious or not so serious, we understand, though, the concept of longing. Well, 2,000 years ago, after hundreds of years of waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, for God to send the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus finally came on to the scene some 2,000 years ago to fulfill his glorious calling, to be the savior of sinners, to take the sins of the world away. And if you were here last week, that's understood in the scriptures to mean to all people groups, which means the world, who would believe in him and not perish. That savior, this God-man named Jesus, has finally arrived in his earthly ministry to fulfill the will of his father. And can you imagine all the people who are starting to sense that? Oh, the long-awaited expectation. Is it now fulfilled in this Jesus? We are only in day three of his earthly ministry in the book of John, the narration provided by John the Apostle. And we will see Jesus with his first narrated speaking parts today as he begins the ministry by recruiting his first disciples. So throughout today's fast-paced text, We'll note at the conclusion some of the remarkable and helpful principles about witnessing unto Christ. There are many here in today's passage, but let's try to get through verse by verse what is said here. Look at your Bibles. Please keep them open in verse 35 to 36. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. We sung about that just several minutes ago. Actually, that special song had all the titles that we'll be talking about here today and if you were here last week we talked about this weighty weighty identity and title of Jesus he is the lamb of God the eternal title of Jesus the Christ a title Christ knew he would fulfill from before the world began and throughout eternity when we saw from Revelation 5 Verse 12 last week, we'll join in with the thousands upon thousands of angels and the elders that cry out, verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What a weighty title indeed. And we outlined all the Old Testament references last week to the sacrifices of lambs over and over again in Israel, teaching and pointing to the ultimate reality that someday, And after long expectation and waiting, God would send the Messiah, the true Lamb of God, to take away the sins of those that trust and believe on him once and for all, this ultimate sacrifice. And this opening title is one of, if you you look at your Bibles, one of six, I'll say that again, six titles of Jesus that will be declared in today's text. And perhaps you can underline them as we go along here. But this is the first And John, the Baptist, is the first to witness to Christ, and he knew who Christ was scripturally, theologically, to declare who this Jesus was. Look at verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them uh, the following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So first to note is this second title. They call him Rabbi. A known term back then where disciples or students would clamor to follow a noted theologian or teacher. 
to learn from him, to sit at his feet, to be with him. Truly, Christ was not just a simple rabbi, though, or teacher, but the true teacher for all mankind. But friends, note the question, the critical question Jesus asked. What are you seeking? If you don't mind even writing in your Bibles or journal, I mean, just highlight that, underline that phrase. What are you seeking? What a critical juncture. As we make this huge transition from John the Baptist to now Jesus, a deep and important question is asked right from the beginning, what are you actually seeking? Are you just here to find out what the buzz is all about? Are you looking for a quick fix for some problem you're going through? Are you just trying to fit in? Or are you trying to become more influential or important? Do you simply have a guilty conscience and you want a quick drive-through pardon and then back to your normal living? Are you simply trying to fill some emotional need or emptiness? Is Jesus just a good luck charm to keep the evil or bad things away? What are you seeking when you come to Jesus? So the questions we could think of 2,000 years ago could probably apply very much similarly to us today. And perhaps some of us here, we are now remembering why we first believed. When you first encountered Jesus, how did you answer when the Spirit said, what are you seeking? Yes, at the right time, at the right moment, in your heart of hearts, you wanted to believe and accept Christ and his work for the forgiveness of sins, for salvation, and to commit to following him all of your days and so forth. But perhaps after some years that go by, the other motives that I just listed a minute ago might be the driving reason that keeps you coming to church. Maybe not, maybe so. Or perhaps it's like the story in the book Great Expectations by Dickens. When young, poor Pip finds himself the recipient of a mysterious benefactor, who keeps sending him money to pay for his education. He doesn't find out till much later who this benefactor really is. But perhaps for us, many who attend church, even today, might consider God a relationless benefactor, a distant God who will chime in every once in a while to bless and to provide, but really there is no relationship after all. Or perhaps we seek Jesus to fulfill our lack of peace, or to fix our anxiety or depression. Now, of course, new life in Christ can deliver you from these things. As Christ, we sung about, is truly the Prince of Peace. But, you, but have you ever met someone who only wanted that part fulfilled? And as soon as they were delivered from whatever malady they were going through, it was off back to a, relig- a relationless Christianity, an aloof, where, an, an aloof awareness of Jesus. Oh, I don't say that in judgment. We are all prone to this temptation. And so why spend on that topic so much today? Well, these questions matter because the world will continue to tempt and attack your heart. But the word of God, through the urging of the Spirit, confronts our hearts, even today, to deal with our skewed pursuits of Jesus. What are you seeking So we don't know at this point the exact motives of these two new disciples. Most say is actually Andrew and John, the author of this gospel. But we at least know that they want a traditional learning arrangement to be around Jesus as much as they can. That's why they call him rabbi. Look in verse 39. He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. And here, I think, the title of today's sermon 
is such an important phrase, come and see, that is again repeated later in today's text. Come and see is one of the most gracious, grace-based, gospel-centered invitations anyone can receive. An invitation to learn and see and believe in the Son of God. True, this was an invitation to where he was staying, a practical bit of information. But as I think Sinclair Ferguson noted, Scottish theologian, the Greek expression there literally means, and they remained with Christ. They abided with him. That, of course, is what discipleship looks like, a following after Jesus that, of course, hearkens our memories to the passage where Christ commands his people, abide in me and I will abide in you. So Jesus is bringing these new disciples to remain with him, a true invitation of the soul and to conquer any motivations they may have brought with them that are skewed. I love, and I won't quote a lot today, but Charles Spurgeon, wonderful gifted preacher in London in the 19th century, he wrote just a couple sentences that I'll read about this. He says, quote, are you seeking pardon? You shall find it in me. Are you seeking peace? I will give you rest. Are you seeking purity? I will take away your sin. A new heart will I give you and a right spirit will I put within you. What are you seeking? Some solid resting place for your soul upon the earth and a glorious hope for yourself in heaven? Whatever you seek, it is here. What a great summation of what the gospel of Jesus Christ offers any of us today. But what goes missing in today's preaching and teaching is that you still have to go and respond to the invitation, right? And I think today in many churches it's all about just the content of the gospel but without any invitation to go and see and to follow. Of course, Christ provides, we believe this here, the invitation somehow, some way, he provides it. And although we believe only the Spirit of God grants the power to then actually respond and believe, as Romans 3, 10, 11 says, no one is righteous, no one understands, no one actually seeks after God, we still have to go and see if we are to believe. Now to verse 40 through 42, one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. This is uh, John's editorial and explanation. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. We'll get into the pattern of witnessing unto Christ towards the end. There's a lot of that here today, but yes, this is this, this Peter, the fisherman who becomes such a dramatic and prominent figure in the New Testament narrative. But notice first what Andrew had to say, his brother, after remaining and abiding with Jesus. We have found the Messiah. This is what happens after you abide in him. We have found the Messiah. John makes, again, the editorial note there for us. Messiah is the Hebrew word, is translated in the Greek Christ, which simply means God's promised anointed one. As Ferguson helpfully reminds us, all three Old Testament offices are fulfilled in Jesus the Christ. The Old Testament kings were anointed to rule God's people. The priests were anointed for their work of making sacrifices daily for sin. And finally, the prophets were anointed to speak forth God's word and truth. All of these offices fulfilled to who they were pointing to in Jesus the Messiah, the Christ. 
And that's, of course, the third title used for Jesus in our short passage today. And Andrew, for Andrew to declare this only by Jesus' will and power and intervention, could this be understood? Whatever Andrew was going in with, he has now received the gift of faith to believe who Jesus truly is. And so Jesus, of course, grants us the picture of what happens to anyone who will believe on him. There's a new identity. Not that all the disciples or apostles were renamed, but this provides us a picture of what happens. New life occurs with a new identity when you believe. Or when Christ invites you, Simon, you're going to be known now as Peter, the rock. And of course, that gets famously unpacked later in the Gospels. And so let's move on to the next bit of the passage, the part I did not read at the beginning, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Again, we're going to address the bringer mentality that these early disciples practiced towards the end of the sermon. But right now we're focused on what Jesus is saying and how he is calling his disciples to him and what is actually the response to this calling. He first states to come and see, and he includes the direct command to all his disciples then and thereafter, follow him, follow me. This is the command, follow me. This needs to be a reminder every so often, or perhaps all the time, that Christian discipleship to Christ is not merely intellectual assent, nor being able to memorize some passages or recite the Westminster Confession, but discipleship to Christ requires an actual following of him, not just in the mind, but in the heart also, meaning our volition, our wills, our affections for him, our service unto him, our fruitfulness are all outcomes of a heart devoted to Christ and his gospel and to follow him. And that includes this intimate following of him and his word, a remaining in him. And so Philip goes first to pronounce this is the long-awaited, long-expected Messiah that the scriptures were pointing to. Remember the scriptures at the point is, is what we would call our Old Testament. This is what they're referring to. They were all pointing to this person, Jesus, whose father is Joseph, who is from the region of Nazareth, a common way to identify anyone back in those days. And so let me wrap up today's text by reading verse 46 to the end. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see, Nathaniel being the token skeptic in the introduction of Jesus calling his disciples, he asks a very prejudiced question here because Nazareth, was not of any significance back then. What good can come out of such a remote, insignificant region? And here we have the invitation and phrase again. Well, why don't you just come and see? 
Now, of course, we go into Jesus' response to the skepticism of Nathaniel. Only God can know of these intimate details of what Nathaniel was doing there sitting under the fig tree even before Philip had approached him. Scholars noting that if you see in your Bibles, verse 47 is just a reference of the representation of Israel in Nathaniel. And I'm thinking perhaps in their rigid skepticism or perhaps the fulfillment of the gospel will come first to the Jews. But we can clearly say that Nathaniel was startled and quickly declared our fourth and fifth titles of today's passage of Jesus. You are the son of God. And then the next title, you are the king of Israel. Oh, the long-awaited one. All variations of what we even discussed last week, that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior. He is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. Truly God, yet truly men, yet also the true King of Kings. But in the last two verses there, Jesus challenges Nathaniel to pretty much buckle up, son. You're going to see a lot more than what I just told you. Signs and miracles will abound in the earthly ministry of Jesus, just you wait. But as we'll see, signs and miracles are not ends to themselves, but they're there to point to the reality and authentication that Jesus truly is the God-man Savior. And that mention to the latter there in in the final verse 51 from the Old Testament vision is that Jesus is the main focus of that ministry of the angels to tend to, as one theologian notes, to the fulfilled and final earthly ministry of Jesus who came to earth to take away the sins of the world. And he calls himself one of his favorite titles, himself, as Brian mentioned earlier, while on earth, oh, the son of man. He's pointing to Daniel 7, to the prophecy referenced earlier, the promised one to come and save. Well, these were the first disciples called by Jesus. Is this significant? Yes, indeed. Because in our first chapter in the Gospel of John, we have outlined for us in a very straightforward manner the principles of and the truth of who Jesus is, but also the principles of witnessing unto Christ. And I I have two points to share today from today's passage. This is not an exclusive, exhaustive list about evangelism or outreach or witnessing. There are plenty of other principles we can glean from the scriptures. But here are two important ones in witnessing and testifying. I wish I, at my notes, I could have went many more than two, but then you would get upset. So number one is this, actually inviting people to come and see. What a needed reminder for practical application. And this principle of witnessing to Jesus, actually inviting people to come and see. You see, we often get tripped up to tell people, we're Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm going to vote, I'm gonna check off the box, I'm a Christian. Or if you go to a function and say, oh, do you wanna participate with us? And you say, no, I'm a Christian. Or maybe in your family dynamics or a cousin visits, yes, I'm a Christian. We're so used to that, especially in this country and the freedoms that we have but we never actually invite people to come and see why. Jesus modeled this first, but then quickly followed by Andrew and then even Philip in today's passage. Now, of course, this is not a prescriptive text, as in you need to first contact your immediate family members first and then move on. Some of your siblings might be across the world. It's people that are in the closest proximity. That is where it started. The principle is you should actually invite people around you to come and see instead of just waiting for them to randomly contact you. 
John Gilly has talked this year a lot about a bringer mentality here in WPC. Well, lo and behold, the first disciples to be bringers was Andrew and Philip. Andrew seemed to be the quieter type of guy, not shooting for the limelight, perhaps not super influential or gifted. He was not part of the inner three disciples of that inner circle of Jesus, John, James, and Peter. But he was perfectly content to invite and bring people over and over again. You see, if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that Andrew brought Peter, his brother, but then later he brings the Greeks who were coming to ask and learn from Jesus, these Gentiles. Andrew, of course, brings the boy who brought the five loaves of bread and the two fish. He was the ultimate bringer. PCA pastor Rick Phillips wrote, if you knew of a really good doctor, would you not tell others to come and see for themselves? In sports, people always invite fans and others and family members too to come and see the championship trophy. I'm a huge National Hockey League fan. And of course, everyone is vying for, at the end of the year in the playoffs, the Stanley Cup. It's an actual huge trophy, almost the size of a person. And if you know the tradition, every team member that won the cup for that year, over the summer, they get it for like a couple of days. And there's always these pictures on social media, the community that they're from. Maybe it was a small city or town in Canada. They, he gets the cup for two or three days, and everyone comes and takes pictures. And he's always saying what? Come and see. He's not saying, hey, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to walk around, maybe go hit up a Panera. No, he's telling everybody, you got to come and see. They can't wait to tell people because this is so valuable to them. They care deeply about this. Well, so too shall we invite people to come and see what we value most highly and cherish most deeply. What a point of conviction and question for us today. Perhaps we are tempted to think only the most talented, gifted people can do this, the loudest, the most articulate, the most outgoing, the most influential. Well, again, Andrew seemed to be more in the background. Maybe he was quieter. Maybe he wasn't as extravagant in his talents or gifts. Many of you know D.L. Moody, the great evangelist in the 19th century. Some of you heard the story of his conversion. There's probably a variation of this, that a simple Sunday school teacher who thought he botched the presentation, the gospel presentation to Jesus, just even vaguely remembered, I think I just told him about the love of God. And it was said that this teacher saw him and thought, oh, this is one of the more darker souls that I've ever encountered, looking at Moody. Then later, after his conversion, leaders at his church then accepted him into church membership but said to one another, this is one of the most unlikeliest people that would ever get converted in their minds. And yet from what this humble and timid Sunday school teacher did led to the conversion of someone who led hundreds if not thousands to Christ. And so when we compute what is likely or unlikely and duck our duty to invite people to come and see, we lose the opportunity to see God's marvelous work before our eyes. And perhaps that is the biggest hindrance of us. We calculate, we do the spiritual calculus. They will never believe. And so I'm never going to invite them to come and see. Don't sell God short. Just invite and let God do the saving. Simple applications there, right? Right? Invite people to a Sunday service to hear the gospel proclaimed. 
and actually even throughout the service. Invite them to events, Christmas Eve or summer cookouts or things that they can maybe get connected with other believers. Invite them to friendship. I think one commentator said, actually one of the most impactful ways to invite people to come and see is to just give them a Bible and say, hey, coworker, 8 a.m. Monday mornings, let's have breakfast and let's just read the Bible. Let's read through the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Luke and just read this together. Don't sell God short. Don't just make the calculus. Just invite and leave it all up to God. The second point is that when we invite people to come and see, be able to identify who Jesus really is. When we invite people to come and see, be able to identify who Jesus really is. The disciples we see in today's passage, and also John the Baptist, took the knowledge of who Christ is from the scriptures and proclaimed that to those they were inviting. Some of them declaring these things themselves after believing. They actually came and saw and then declared it with their own mouths, who Jesus is. And so today's passage has six titles said of Christ, five of them being the divine, eternal titles fulfilled in Christ alone. And the cool thing is, Peter says this himself, this principle, in his own letter, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. True, we are called to invite people to come and see. We are called to be prepared to declare truth about Jesus. But note the true power is always with Christ and is knocking on the person's heart. Jesus, when he saves a soul, always takes the person then from come and see to come to me. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Oh, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, if we could just pray that God grants us the inclination, the application, and the conviction to urgently invite others to the wonderful good news that Jesus has to offer. And so don't wait for others to do so for you. Yes, God is sovereign. We believe that he is always in control. We believe that he preordains all of this. But he also ordains the means by which people are invited to come and see and to come to this Jesus. And that could be you. So remember that so that we may all believe and truly more and more as the days go by, finally remain in him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Perhaps many of us here have been going to church services for years or decades. And we thought this would just be a rehash of the prologue of who Jesus is, a quaint story about how the first disciples were called. Oh, but Lord, we thank you for revisiting our hearts and our minds today with the truths from your holy scripture. What it was like when we first believed what it was like when we were first invited to come and see. Oh, Lord, may our hearts pour over today with gratitude. Perhaps that Sunday school teacher, perhaps a friend of the family, perhaps a youth pastor, perhaps a coworker or neighbor who had the courage to say, come and see. 
And so, Lord, convict us that we not hoard the good news to ourselves. Convict us to just say the littlest things. And, and even like the earlier character today who thought, we bought, who thought he botched it up, little old weak him, oh God, may we still go and that you will make it all work. Even if we botch the presentation up, oh, give us the courage and boldness to see people out there who do not know you and invite them to the warmth and the embrace and even just preaching about the love of you, God, so that they could hear and then believe. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.